Welcome to the Nova Church's podcast. We are a vibrant, dynamic, multicultural church in Alexandria, Virginia. Join us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. For more information, go to www.thenovachurch.com. We're excited to share this week's message with you. God bless. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 24. Glory. It's so good to be back in service. Um, I'll just be honest with you. There's no other place I'd rather be uh, than home with the family. And uh, I mean that. Uh, Now, that is a home away from home. Uh, I've preached in that church and uh, I don't miss Sundays a whole lot. Um, in fact, it's pretty rare that I will miss a Sunday uh, in, unless I, I feel so inclined to. But the Lord moved mightily, and um, I was so thankful for what God did, moving and speaking and ministering. And uh, I want you all to know something, that when, when usually there's a difference between just a, a preacher and a minister. Amen? A lot of people can preach, but not a lot of people can minister. And there is a big difference. Uh, and let me show you the difference, is that you can pull a sermon from anywhere. And anybody can get up and speak. There's people that professionally speak. But there's a difference when you can step into a pulpit and say, this is the word of God. And I don't know any situation. And afterwards, it's always astounding when people come up to you said, hey, you spoke to me about this situation. You didn't even know it. And let me tell you what I'm going through. And God used you today. And it's amazing what happens when three, four, five times that happens over and over and over. Says, do you know what's going on? I said, not a clue, not an idea. And they said, let me tell you what's going on. And they begin to say, you, you spoke right into this situation. And, and that's uh, something that I always am so imperative to find and to seek the will of God every Sunday, not only here, but everywhere I preach, amen, is God, I want to follow your will. I don't want to be a sermon preacher. I don't want to just be a good preacher. I want to be, God, used of you to minister to somebody in that place. Amen? And, uh, and it was so amazing to watch how I must have had a half a dozen people on Sunday alone come up to me and say, Pastor Travis, did you know? I said, I don't have a clue. And I am always so, so thankful to watch what the Lord uses. I said, give God praise. Amen? Praise the Lord. And so today I've got a word for somebody in this place. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 24, and it is Father's Day, so obviously I'm going to stick to the theme. I'm going to be a, a good pastor and, and uh, preach a good Father's Day message this morning to y'all. Uh, Proverbs 23 and 24 says, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. I want to preach to you today on a subject called the foundation of the father. The foundation of the Father. Now, if you will turn around and tell two or three people the foundation of the Father, then you may be seated. Every now and then, you come across a story that invokes an interesting click to read through your feed, if you will, and as you're scrolling, the headline stated, Florida Man. Anybody ever get caught up in those stories? Anybody know what the Florida Man story is? Anybody? Just somebody say amen, right? 
I feel I'm looking at a lot of blank faces today. Okay, you know, the Florida man is, is that the state of Florida reports all of their crimes. And so there's a meme and a joke. See, I'm about to make y'all cool today. The, the teenagers would have totally got this, but they're out today. But if, you know, if you put Florida man in your birthday, that means that's like who you are of that day. And they always say, Florida man. And so Florida man regrets trying to pawn his baby for laughs on Snapchat. And now interesting, that seems like a pretty far-fetched headline. So of course I clicked the story and it said that Brian Slocum was a comedian and he thought he would be funny for social media. And he, he walks into this pawn shop in Florida and he, he says, I know no one under 18 is here, but uh, he's barely used. He's seven and a half months old. What do you think he's worth? And the man th- puts the baby on the counter to the pawnbroker and uh, in the Snapchat videos he provided to the police station, he is heard telling the clerk that he only wanted the boy to be held as collateral, just as a pawn. I don't really want to get rid of him. He said, I basically just need a babysitter for two weeks. What will you give me for him? And the owner, fearing for the baby's safety, did not find humor at all in the joke. He did not find this to be funny. In fact, he was very fearful. He was shocked. He said in all of his years of the pawn business, he had never encountered such a situation. And so the owner, fearing for the baby's safety, called the Sarasota police station, and they instantly started tracking down the man. Hours after Brian pulled out of the pawn shop's parking lot, the lanky, lightly bearded father was shocked to discover that law enforcement was searching for him, and he was all over the evening news searching desperately as they had searching for his license plate, searching for the make and model of the card, searching frantically to save the baby. When he found the news, he called the police station and he said it was a prank that was intended for social media. Before long, dozens of officers surrounded his home, guns pulled, ready to storm the house and Instantly, sitting there, he realized this situation was not nearly as funny as what he had thought in his mind for the cause of social media. That's a good lesson for us all. Somebody say amen. Sitting on his porch later that day, Brian was so sorry for all of the trouble that he had caused. And he learned his lesson. And, and he, he warned other people not to make the same mistake. And uh, he, he said, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there's consequences to things like this. And as he was sitting there, he said this statement and he was not charged, although it took a vast amount of resources in the police force to try to track down this man to save the child. But he said the statement, he said, there's nothing in the world I would trade for my son. He is my world. And during the interview, they noted that as the boy is bouncing in his rocker, delighting sounds of laughter, the man, Brian, looked and said, how could you want to ever get rid of something like that? That really is the essence of a father, where you understand how could you ever trade the beauty of this calling for something, and and it's really priceless, although he was making a joke of how much is he worth, and hey, how can I pawn the kid off, and I really want to kind of get rid of this thing, is what the 
joke. And it was not really that funny of a joke. But what we understood was, is in his heart of hearts, he said, there's nothing in this world I would trade for my son. There's nothing that I would really give, especially uh, uh, for the love and, and the joy and the, the privilege of being a dad. Today, I want to talk to you about three great traits that make up a great dad. And I'm going to use the acrostic dad, D. A, D. The first D in that letter, dad, is great dads give direction. Somebody say direction. Great dads are dedicated to the great calling of fatherhood. They are dedicated, they are devoted, and they are loyal. I believe very firmly that the world needs less absent fathers. The foundation of fatherhood is stability and loyalty and understanding that I'm going to help give my child direction. And, and there's a difference in that because there's a big difference between loyalty and enablement and giving direction. Can I get a witness, somebody? See, any parent knows, and even if you're not a parent, you have probably seen somebody on the flip side watching how they treat and interact with their child and realize they're doing it all wrong. Can I get a witness, somebody? Any honest people in the house? No honest preachers. No, no, the preacher's by himself today. I got to go back to Chicago. Here we go. Okay. Now watch this. The, the reality of it is, is when you see people and you are watching how they interact with their, their children, it's fascinating where sometimes they have mistaken loyalty for enablement. And loyalty is not the same as enablement. See, loyalty is steadfast support, basically saying, I don't agree with your actions, but I'm always here for you. But enablement is giving permission. It's saying, you do what you want, regardless of right or wrong. I'm enabling you to do such a thing. Loyalty is what great dads are called to, to say, you know what, I don't agree with this, but I'm still here for you. I still love you. I'm steadfast in my loyalty. You'll always be son or daughter. I'll always be dad. But I don't agree with the decision. But enablement says, hey, it really doesn't matter what you do. I'd rather be your friend than your parent. Anybody ever seen somebody like that today? Now watch the difference. The Bible gives a very clear dynamic in this, of this example of the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son shows the example of loyalty. The son, for those of you that may not be aware of it, the son wants half of the inheritance. The son says, I want what is mine, and I'm going to take and leave, and I'm going to go do exactly what I want. He wanted to live in a way that he knew was wrong. He wanted to live, uh, sow his wild oats, if you will. And the father, if you get the context of the picture, we often don't think just in terms of the father. Usually the prodigal son is brought to the perspective of the son or it's through the perspective of the brother. But when you consider the perspective of the father, the father gives the son half of his. And he gives it to him, knowing what the son's most likely going to do. It wasn't like the prodigal son was saying, Dad, give me my inheritance. I'm going to put this into an investment that's going to make you really proud. No, he, he didn't say that. He said, I want to do this. But the reason that he had to leave the father's house is because he understood that his dad did not have an enablement mentality, but a loyalty mentality. Can I preach to you for a second today? The reason he had to leave was because he knew 
what was prohibited or not prohibited in the, in the father's house. He said, basically, if I'm going to live that way, I can't do it in dad's place because the father said, you're not going to do it here. It's similar to our walk with God that when we see that, hey, there's people that sin, God said, hey, you're going to do whatever you want, but you're not going to necessarily do it in dad's house. And, and that's where the Lord lets them leave the father's house. That's how the Lord says, the Lord doesn't love any less. The father doesn't love any less, but he does let him leave rather than enabling. See, that's the difference between enablement and loyalty is an enabler would say, no, 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 don't leave. You can still do whatever you want. Just don't go out the door. Uh, that, uh, do it here in my place. But rather, there's a very interesting thing and lesson that we've got to understand. Now, what is that lesson? Is that sometimes you've got to let them leave to establish loyalty. Because when they leave is when they'll start to understand eventually there's a big difference of that. The Bible's fairly clear about this. We find that often we let, uh, that, that Jesus says, hey, I'm going to let you leave rather than compromise and rather than enable you to do something that is not right or not good or something bad. Where is this in the Bible, pastor? I'm glad you asked. Here's where it is in the Bible. We find that the rich young ruler, Jesus says, this is what you do. This is how you're going to serve me. And he gives them a standard. And the Bible says the rich young ruler walked away sorrowfully. We find that Jesus never chases the rich young ruler. Jesus never goes back to him and says, do whatever you can to come back. Okay, I've changed my mind. No, he said, this is what's going to happen. I love you. I'm loyal to you. This is what I want for you. This is what's best. But if you're not going to do it, you got to go. See, the same thing we find in the Old Testament, in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve, we find that here they are. They are in the confines and the boundaries. They are in a safe place of paradise, utopia, if you will. They've got it going on. And in the context of this scenario, we find that the Lord says, do whatever you want, but don't eat of the tree. When he says that, what happens when they eat of the tree? He says, now that you've partaken of this, now that you've disobeyed this, because the Lord is a loyal God and a loyal father rather than just an enabling father, he says, now you've got to go out and deal with the consequences of your actions. But I still love you. I'm not going to discourage you. I'm not going to depart from you. I'm not going to say I never knew you. He said, I'm still going to be for you. I'm still going to be your God. Can I preach today, somebody, that it doesn't matter sometimes what we do. God still loves us, but he's not going to enable us to our detriment and to hurt us so we can say, oh, I can just live whatever way I want to. That's not how God, go, how God is. He's too good to enable us. He's too good not to be loyal to us. He loves us. That's why he acts in such a way he does. Could you imagine that we serve a God that is an enabler rather than a God that is loyal? Loyal is steadfast. I'm thankful that we serve a steadfast God. But could you imagine if we served a God that was so wishy-washy and compromising that depending on who did what when, that the line would change based on who and what just so he could keep them in the house? And we know that in the house means I'm basically referring to in the church. 
in the walk with him. So in other words, there is no such thing as sin in that regard. See, that's the maybe culture of Christianity now is that we have a culture of Christian uh, uh, living and Christian churches that says it doesn't matter how you live, just stay in the house. They are a, a, a culture of enablers. It says sin doesn't matter. Just as long as you show up in the house, it's good. And therefore, because there's no firm lines and lines are fluid based on whatever everybody else is doing, they have begun to shift into a dimension that is not necessarily uh, active of, of, and reflective of what God has for his church, where God says, no, no, I want you to be a holy people. I want you to be separated. I want you to walk with me and talk with me and live with me, and I want to be in fellowship with you where God can use you and God can speak to you and he can order your steps and he can give you a fresh anointing. Can I get a witness somebody? But what happens is, is if we live into a place of enablement rather than into a place of loyalty with the Father, we do ourselves an injustice because then what happens when the enablement changes and begins to compromise the word of God? And so we find that's where the Father lets the prodigal son leave. And his mentality was this. I won't participate in the progress of your destruction. You're not going to do it here. So that's why he let him leave. Don't you think that the father probably, if you will indulge me in this thought of theology, don't you think that the father could have let the son stay in the house? He gave him the money. He gave him what belonged to him. But he said, I'm going to give you what's yours, but you can't do it here. Watch. Why is this? Because he says, I'm not going to partner in this path of destruction. I'm not going to give you a license to participate in that path. Why? This is the reason why. Catch me right now. Because your child may not return because they don't know the difference. Because if someone has enabled them, they can't determine the context of unrighteousness. Catch that thought. Pastor's coming in hot today. I know, right? This is a little deeper than a Father's Day message of what I, I probably should have. Maybe I should have saved this for, for some other class, but can I just show you what God's, he was working on me on this as I was thinking of this, and, and he just kind of started speaking and downloading this into my spirit. That if you think about this, the reason that it's dangerous is that's why some people go out in the world and they never come back to the church. Why? Because they never were able to distinguish the difference between what righteousness and unrighteousness. If they had a father that was loyal and still showed unconditional love, but yet making bad decisions, it's the compass of how to get home. And when the prodigal comes to himself, the Bible says, he began to contrast where he was and the, what the servants were in his father's house. And he began to say, wait a second, there's a difference of where my dad's servants are and where I am. He said, I realize I've walked away. I faded. And that's why we do not compromise truth. We do not compromise right and wrong or sin and unrighteousness. Why? Because when people walk away, they'll remember, I've made mistakes, but Jesus still loves me. And God still loves who I am. That's the beauty of having a God that's loyal. That's the beauty of loyal parents. That when they've made the mistake, they can come home. But could it be that if his dad said, no, 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 do it here. I will, I will enable you to live however you want in my house. Just stay in the house. Well, what happens when he gets to such a deep, dark place? 
that he's in the house, but he doesn't know where to go. But he should have never been in that place. Get the picture. Can I give maybe a really rough analogy to maybe bring this home and see if I can tie this together? And somebody say, Pastor, say on. Thank you. So watch this. What, could you imagine you have a, a, a big house? And, and in this house, you say, hey, uh, whatever you do, uh, uh, honey, I want you to stay in the house. And, and it doesn't matter how you live. I just want you to stay here. Uh, don't leave. And, and, and there's no rules. And so as rules continue to be broken and you know unrighteousness is wrong, uh, 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 bad, we find that eventually they say, oh, uh, I, want to, uh, I want to do a little bit of drugs on the side. Oh, okay, just stay here. Don't leave, even though that's not good. Just stay in the house and and then they say hey, I've got a I've got a boyfriend I, we're gonna we're gonna start coming over and and we're gonna spend the night together and, and you say oh, oh okay don't whatever you do uh, that's we know that's not 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 a good thing uh, uh, don't do anything that you're going to regret we know what the Bible says but just stay in the house and then you find that all of a sudden there's situations that arise from that and they realize I'm addicted to stuff I shouldn't have been addicted to doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing participating in stuff I should have never participated in, and then watch. Where do they go? Because they're already living in the house. Because somebody has enabled them to do something that should have never been done. Can I get a witness, somebody? That's why we value the Lord. That's why we value the Bible as guidelines of saying, God, you love us as a father, that you're going to be loyal to us. Because what happens is, is if you say, no, no, you can't do that here. The confines don't matter. You, you're going to do what you want, but it can't happen here. That when they go out of the house, let me give you the opposite of that analogy. And they are out there, and they're all of a sudden broke, and they're addicted to stuff, and they're drunk on a hangover. And all of a sudden, they're sleeping, and they feel used, and they feel like they've been abandoned. Guess what's going to happen to them when they come themselves and say, this isn't the life I want. Guess where I want? I want to what mom and dad has. I want what's in the house. I want what's that. That's when they have a place that they know they can go because somebody's been loyal and steadfast. Is it easy? No, it's not. But it's right. And that's the difference that the church has got to understand. Hey, it's not always just lines. You can't compromise whatever you want to. But when you serve God and when they're ready to come home, I'm here today to tell you, they're going to come home to the house and say, there's a father that loves me. There's a church that loves me. My parents still love me. My parents are still here for me. Oh, I can't wait to get home. I thank God that there's a place called home, that I know that the world is not what I want. It offers an enticing picture of stuff and sin, and, and it may look like fun at the party. And it may look like it's, it's a whole bunch of, of cool things, but I'm, I'm here today to tell you what they don't show you is the after effects and the morning after and, and how you feel and, and how sad it is and the guilt. And they don't show that part in the parties or in the movies or, or on Instagram. Uh, you never see somebody sitting there realizing in tears with tears streaming down their face how their life is crushed and how they're devastated and how they're contemplating suicide. You never see that posted in social media. But what you do see is the allures of the Friday night. I'm here today to tell you I thank God that he's a loyal God. Amen. The Lord still loves him. Let me hurry on. What we know is that the love of God does not fade. The Lord, he is not a God that does diminish but we find that the expression of love of the Father is produced by the loyalty mentality that says, God, you are loyal today. And we know that 
the prodigal son, he leaves and he spends all, the Bible says, on riotous living. And, and he sits there and he, he realizes, no, no, I've got to go home to, to the father. The foundation of the father was, I'm not going to enable you. Now, can I preach for a second? In the story of the prodigal son, we see that the father was always waiting for the son to come home. He wasn't going, I told you. I knew you'd be back. No, 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 no. That's not how the, the Lord works. Let me just say today is that the Lord is anxiously waiting to come home and to throw a party and say, I'm glad you're home, son, because I don't agree with you, but I still love you today. And that's where we have to understand the power of a father. And that's where the church has to be very conscious of we are called to help the fatherless because there are people in our society, there are people here under this room that for one reason or another, you are now in that reign of maybe I have fatherless. Perhaps your father has, has gone on to glory. Maybe, maybe he's passed on or maybe your father abandoned or maybe there's a father who walked away and you never knew today. Let me just tell you that the church is, one of the church's divine mandates in the Bible is to help the fatherless. Let me say this very clearly. The church as a whole is called to help the fatherless, period. That's why we've got to be very intentional. Sometimes we can miss and move off these things, but let me just tell you something. That's why we've got to invest in love in people and the fatherless. We know in Exodus 22 and 22, the Bible says, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. In Psalm 68, four through six, the Bible says, he is the father of orphans. The champion of widows is God in his holy house. God makes home for the homes for the homeless and leads prisoners to freedom. The beauty of the dad is that God, he will give direction. Everybody say direction. The second part is A in the letter is affirmation. I believe that a foundation of a great dad is affirming. There's a power in a father's words. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody think of a time where your dad said something that was really, really great to you? Maybe. Can anybody think of a time where your dad said something that was very, very hurtful? You, maybe. It's got really somber in here. Glory. This is a heavy subject, right? Can you think of that for a second, though? Is that there's a power in affirming words. I believe that a dad's duty is to be affirming to other people. Now, let me just say this. Is that if you're not a dad today, you can be a father figure to lots of these teenagers and children who are in our church who don't have a father in their life. Can I get a witness, somebody? Where there's a power in affirming words to walk up to them and say, hey, I want you to know, I'm just glad you're here today. There's a power in affirming words. I thank God that I didn't have a mom and a dad that attended church. I was a bus kid that came to church. But I thank God that there were men of God who would come up to me and say, hey, I just want you to know I love you today. I'm glad you're here. And I'll never forget that there were these types of figures in the church that, that really helped mold me and shape me and shape the character and integrity of me and, and says, no, no, you can't do like that. And, hey, it's church work day. You got to be here work day. I don't want to be working. I know, but you, you got to be here and, and I'm going to come pick you up. Really? You're going to do that? Ah, oh, you don't have to. No, no, I insist. You're going to come and you're going to help mow the lawn today. 
really? I remember very clearly a lesson of, of an elder man. I was, we were walking through the church parking lot, and there was a cup that somebody threw on the ground. He said, hey, I want you to pick up that cup. And I said, why? It's just a cup. And he goes, because we always want to treat the house of God with the utmost respect. Pick up the cup. Yes, sir. So I picked up the cup and went and threw it away and said, let me teach you a lesson. He said, it doesn't matter if you see a little gum wrapper. It doesn't matter what you see. He said, if you see papers on the church, he said, you pick those things up. He said, what he was teaching me is to honor the house of God. He was teaching me that this isn't just to be disrespected or to do whatever. He was teaching me to honor something that was holy. And those things modeled and shaped me. And dads and, and parents and people should affirm their kids. There's a power in the spoken word. We know that because of prayer, but we also know that in interaction actions because we know that words can shape and words can wound and words can build up or words can even cause paralysis and insecurities. But affirming the actions of our kids is critical. Let me say this right now. We ought to tell our kids, I love you. I'm glad four of you believe that. Somebody say amen. I believe, I believe that as people and uh, uh, the world begins to give a, an idea of what a manly man is, that Hollywood example has not ever been true to form, where dads are aloof, or oftentimes if you think there's dads are sitting on the wayside, maybe absent, sitting on the couch with a beer, watching the football game. That's not what a Christian dad should be. I believe a dad should be able to say, listen, I love you. I believe that your kids need to hear the words and say, hey, uh, I, I want you to know that dad loves you today. And, and to show your kids that they're valuable, we ought to tell our kids, I missed you today. And to encourage your kids, we need to say, I'm proud of you today. And to model to our kids, I believe adults need to say, I'm sorry. See, uh, uh, the four of you, I, I'm glad we got that. Amen? But that, those are things that guys don't say, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you've got to drag it out of you. Can I get a witness, somebody? That's not the mentality of affirming words to build our kids up. I believe we need to tell them, I believe in you. Somebody say amen. Last but not least is dedication. So we know that a foundation father's direction, affirmation, and then dedication. Now, I want to share a story with you in the Bible of Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 is a fascinating story because in Judges chapter 6 we find that there's this guy by the name of Gideon and I'm, I'm almost done today if you'll just let me wrap this up here I want to share the story with you as in Judges chapter 6 Gideon is called by God and Gideon is God's man and he's chosen and specifically you find in verse 24 that Gideon gets a word from God. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 6 with me. But in Judges chapter 6, we find that God begins to speak to Gideon to do something courageous. And Gideon hears this, this call from God. And the Bible says that Gideon builds an altar. And as he builds the altar unto God, the Lord tells him to do something that's pretty, pretty important. He said, your father has this, this problem. Your father has idol worship for the land. And he said, I want you to tear down the altar of your father's idol worship. Now, I don't know how and I don't know why. Maybe the Lord chose Gideon because he had a, a kind heart. Or maybe he just seen that Gideon was somebody that could be used by God. But we find in verse 25 and 26 that as Gideon is sitting there, the Bible says that 
that God gives him a set of instructions, if you will. And if you'll allow me to kind of summarize the story. He says, I want you to take your father's best bull. He said, I want you to tear down your father's altar and chop it up. And he said, what I want you to do is he said, I want you to make an altar to God. Your God on top of this hill. Once Gideon stepped into a realm of a relationship with God, he began to be used by God. And God said, okay, this is somebody I can, be, I can use. Let me just say this right now for free. that I believe that there's people in this room that God wants to use you, but he's waiting on you to step into a relationship. So he says, now I can trust them. Now let me use them. That was just for free. I just thought I'd throw that out there for somebody, right? And now, now that he does that, we find that he begins to take these things. And Gideon selects in verse 27, you read in the Bible where the Bible says Gideon selects 10 men and he did exactly what God told him. But watch this. But because of his family and the people around he was afraid, basically, to do it openly. So Gideon begins to operate and do what God obeyed in the middle of the night. Get the picture. There's an altar. This is the altar that the whole town comes to worship. And he knows that it's an altar to a false god. It's an idol, if you will. It's a statue. And in fact, the Bible says, I could just be honest since the teenagers aren't here. In fact, the Bible says that the false god, Astrith, it was a fertility pole that was right next to the altar of Baal. And we find that God said, no, I only want you to tear down the altar. I want you then to chop down this uh, false pole that would uh, help create uh, babies uh, in the wombs of the people and he said I want you to chop that thing down burn it and he said I want you to build a new altar unto me but the problem is is the necessity to act at night leaves what we find maybe some that could be disappointed in Gideon because he is fearful why is Gideon fearful why is he so afraid that he's got to do this at night while everybody's sleeping? He's sneaking around with 10 of these servants because Gideon's fear arises out of the awareness of the spiritual condition of a nation that says, no, no, we're happy to worship a false god. And Gideon knows that his own family and his dad and his townsfolk will come to the defense of the pagan idols before they defend him. One of their own kind. One of their own citizens. So that verse 27, there's an important verse because that fear is founded where he understands when these people wake up in the morning and they realize their idol's gone, they're going to be awfully ticked off. And it doesn't matter that I'm their own kind, I'm their brother, and I'm, it doesn't matter. He said, they're going to come after me. That's a pretty powerful, bold act of faith by Gideon that he says, I'm willing to risk it all. My friends, my family, to obey the words of God. Can I get a witness, somebody? That's the type of faith that we need to, it says, I don't care if nobody agrees with this. I don't care if everybody disagrees with this. My friends may disown me. My family may come against me. My friends may unfriend me. My coworkers may turn on me. But I'm going to follow and obey the words of God. That's real faith in action. But what we see is, is early in the morning in verse 28, 
The Bible says they arise, and as they arise, they come to the altar, and the altar is torn down, and the pole is chopped down, and and basically the bull is burning uh, away on the altar, and they realize what has happened in the middle of the night. And they ask the question, who did this? And they question, and they question, and they realize that Gideon, the son of Joash, did this. And the men, basically in verse 30, the Bible says, The men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die. Watch the beauty of a father here. The town, you have an angry mob circling your house. And you have an angry mob that's saying, Bring your son out, he died. Because he tore down the altar and he chopped down the tree. But watch verse 31. See, a foundation of a father. Let's all stand. A foundation of a father is I'm going to give you direction. Uh, You may not obey the direction, but I'm going to give you the directions and the path and the course to follow. This is the way to follow, which I hope that you are teaching your children what they taught in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, right? That's what you teach your kids. You teach your kids how to pray, and you teach your kids the value of the Bible, and then you affirm your kids. I'm proud of you for doing that. You've done a great job today, and there's power in affirming words and to affirm them of what they've done right and to affirm them of how they're asking and how they're growing and how they're moving in the Lord, amen? And there's a power in affirmation, but then you find this dedication component, that sometimes you've got to be dedicated to your kids no matter what. And Joash, although we find in verse 30, the Bible says, but Joash stood up to the crowd, is what one translation said, pressing in on him. And Joash had a decision to make. My son, my son who I love, has done wrong in the eyes of this people. And the people, can you imagine, you have an angry mob that says, hey, bring him out here. It's time to kill him, for he's done this against Baal. Now, remember who these people are. They're Jews. They are Jewish people. They're Israelites. They know. They grew up. They understood the Torah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And yet they've fallen into this idol worship, sacrificing to a God that is not real, sacrificing to a false God. And they're sitting here saying, no, bring him out. We are going to fight for this false God. And Joash, as he stands up to the crowd, he remarkably shows this beautiful love and dedication to his child because he didn't show any interest about the bull he lost. And he didn't show any interest about the cult. And he didn't show any interest about the idol. But all that mattered to him was his son. And recognizing this illogical thing because it was one that he participated in. It wasn't like Joash was a believer. It wasn't like Joash was living right. It wasn't like Joash was serving God and all these idols were around. No, no, Joash was one of the crowd. And in fact, if Joash probably would have been on the opposite side of the crowd and it wasn't his son, Joash probably would have said, bring him out, it's time to die. 
but because it was his boy. <laughs> Can I preach for a second? See, the beauty of this story is, is you don't catch this while reading the text. But Joash then steps up and defends his son and says, if Baal is such a big God, can't he defend himself? Why is it that you have to defend such a weak God? And he begins to question him in verse 30 and 31. And they said, so if Baal is so big and so powerful, let Baal fight against my son Gideon. And at that point, the crowd turned away and walked away. There's a few things you can get out of that. What do you get out of that? The first is, is that the love that he had is he was willing to stand up and fight for his son. So not my son. But the power and providence of God is that the reason Joash could do this is because the idol was actually on his land. So he had a right and he had an authority to speak because he was the owner. His dad was the owner of the idol worship. And because he was the owner of it, God used him. See, he positioned Gideon to remove something as a stumbling block to the whole neighborhood. And it happened because of an act of father's love that said, no, 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 we're not gonna actually worship the idol anymore. We're not gonna rebuild the idol either because it was the action of a son and the love of the father that began to bring revival and repentance to this area. He didn't care about what they thought. He didn't care what they said. He didn't care of what he lost. But he basically said, no, no, no. You're not going to do that against my boy. Because he was dedicated and loyal. And because of that, the love that he had far superseded this. And he turned around and began to walk with God. And he began to follow God from that point. Because his son began to cause conviction. That's the beauty of the love of a father. Is he began to realize, how did my boy do this? How did my boy understand that I should go back to my roots, to my faith, to my foundation, with every head bowed and every eye closed today? I'm here today to tell you that there's a beauty of a father's love that dedicates themselves, says, I'm willing to do this no matter what. I want to set an example and a model. And because of this, the Lord can begin to use he is positioning and putting him in a posture in which he can be used to bring revival and his will. And because Gideon obeyed him. Why? Because I believe deep, deep down, somewhere in Joash's life or in Gideon's life, they knew, oh yeah, hey, we're not like the other people. We're different. We're set apart. We are called unto a holy God. We are we are his people. We are chosen people. We are somebody that God wants to use today. Just like you and I as Christians, that he loves us. And he loves us so much that he has dedicated himself to us. And that's the beauty of a father that's good and a father that loves us because he's good regardless. He's good 
regardless of what we face. And he's always there to me. If there's a reason to worship God, it's that we serve a God who loves you. You may have an absent father today. You may have a father that walked away or walked out or maybe did things that was hurtful. I'm here today to tell you that even if your father in the natural has not been what they're supposed to be, the Lord is a father that can make his steps up. He's our everlasting father. He is our Father that is what is the design that is supposed to be in this place. That when you begin to say, God, I trust in you and I love you today, that's where he'll begin to say, enter into this relationship, step forward into this. I'm here today to tell you that we serve a God that loves us in this place, that we serve a God that is there for you. We serve a God, and if you'll begin to step forth and step out and say, God, I love you today, God will begin to let you feel his love and his power and his promises will come to pass in this place. I wonder if you would begin to come down to the front and to worship the Lord and begin to say, God, I love you today. God, you're a good, good father. God, I love you today and I worship you. Even if your father in the natural hath let you down, I'm here today to tell you, he will make up the difference. I'm here today to tell you that if your father was a little on the outside, I'm here today to tell you that you can be an example that can bring back something into your father. I'm here today to tell you that your father can make up the difference. Your spiritual father your heavenly father can begin to be that person it's when you understand who he is that you understand God you are good he is devoted to you he is loyal to you today but I wonder if you would just begin to say God I love you today it's who you are oh God I thank you today Jesus oh yes God it's the beauty of a father's love that says, I'll stand with you. I'm devoted unto you. I'm dedicated unto you. That's the same way our Lord and Savior is, is that he's dedicated unto you today, that he loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to give you peace and comfort and let you know that everything's going to be okay, that he trusts in you. Yes, God. I wonder if you would just tell him that right now, that I love you today, Jesus. Lord, I love you, oh God. Yes, God. Lord God, you'll plead my cause. You'll plead my case today. You'll supply my need. You'll provide, God. For God, you will begin to move in us today. In the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I thank you, God, for not enabling me, God, to destruction, but saving me and bringing me home. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, God. Lord, I pray right now, God, that you would move, oh Lord.
Yes, God, we worship you. I wonder if you just lift your hands and worship him right now. Just begin to say, God, in the name of Jesus. Our heavenly Father's perfect today. Yes, God. You are perfect in all Oh, Lord, we worship you in this place. Yes, God. 